this misunderstanding is so widespread that I find myself talking about this topic uh, with uh, pretty much any organization that I spend some time with. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I bet that you might uh, fall for some aspects of this. So I, I, I really invite you to watch this very carefully. Um, and the misunderstanding is this, is that control is bad, right? And for sure, control in most traditional organizations is out of control, right? Um, control is, is like this bad weed, you know, as soon as something goes wrong or somebody even just believes that something might go wrong, we invent some control mechanisms, right? We write some procedure or policy or process um, that we then force people uh, to play by. And of course, um, very quickly, you know, the, these things stop making sense in certain situations and then people are trapped and have to, you know, you've, you know, I'm sure you've had a um, number of um, customer service calls where people say, oh no, we can't do that, but why not? Like, you know, that makes no sense. Oh, well, yeah, there's a policy. I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I, I don't make the rules. Um, uh, there's all these targets that we impose on people and often these targets no longer make sense but everybody pretends that they play by these targets or budgets and um, you know there's all these approval mechanisms where you know you're in an organization and you say like what for this simple thing I, I need an approval like that makes no sense um, so yeah control mechanisms are like weed and we're entangled in them and you know it's 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 obviously it's obviously horrible and so from that many people have this misunderstanding that control is bad, right? And that we should just get rid of all of that and that's what we're doing in, in self-management. Um, now the truth is um, that control isn't bad, right? Control is good in the sense that, um, you know, if you think of an organization as a living system, you know, it wants to be in control, right? If you, if, if I take myself, you know, me as a, as a human being with my body, you know, I, I want my body temperature to be between 36 and 37 degrees Celsius, right? Um, and I hope that something here in that system is monitoring that very closely and that when I'm out of the bounds, you know, something happens, you know, something kicks in. Um, and, and so the same is true for organizations. You know, we, we want to look, you know, for organizations to be in control. Um, now, some people don't like the word self-control, uh, you know, control, and I can understand that. So if you want to, you can replace that with something else. Um, and you can call that self-correction. One systems to be able uh, to self-correct as soon as they're getting out of control, right? And this is such an important topic um, that I will make two specific videos only to talk about self-correction, right? And self-correcting systems, because it's, I think really important that we wrap our heads around this. Um, but I already want to talk about um, some aspects of, of control. And, and the misunderstanding often goes something like this, um, that, you know, oh yeah, we can get rid of all of these control mechanisms um, and not replace them with anything. And then you go like, oh, but how the, will that work? And then people say, oh yeah, you know, we'll simply operate on trust, right? That's something I hear a lot, you know, um, self-management operates on trust and I think that is both right and wrong right that, that's right in the sense that trust absolutely is this you know this absolute foundational layer of self-management right in self-management um, we believe that people in the right context um, 
are extraordinarily responsible and self-motivated um, and you know just do extraordinary things right um, so we we don't need to control people to force them to do the right thing because they would be lazy or stupid as is somehow the assumption in most traditional organizations but notice what i've said right in the right context right in the right context that foundation of trust you know works out um, because in in other contexts you know if the context is wrong then you know my lazy part in me and i have a lazy part will play out right and if the context is really bad there might be even a part of me that wants to sabotage this thing right um and so what what people often misunderstand is you know there's absolutely this foundation of trust but on top of that are all these mechanisms that allow systems to self-correct that i will talk about um, in the other videos and so trust is a necessary component um, but it's not enough let me already share you know one story to try and bring that to life right um, and it's a story from uh, AES um, the uh, the company you know 40,000 people um, with power plants all over the world that I uh, wrote about in the book reinventing organizations um, so this company is operating power plants, um, you know, in the United States and in Europe and in Africa and in Asia and Latin America. Um, and, you know, power plants, um, you know, are, you know, these things that you don't just fool around with, right? Like there are these major pieces of equipment. There's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of safety concerns. Um, and so you want, you know, the, the power plant to be in control. Right? Control is not a bad thing when you're talking about a power plant. Um, what we don't want is the traditional mechanisms with which you know multinational corporation would impose control. Right? How would that look like in a traditional organization? You would have the headquarters of AES, you know, in Washington, that would have you know this whole staff functions that would try and impose control. Right? You would have the head of risk and the head of maintenance. And the head of audit and you know all of these staff functions um, that would write very detailed policies and, and guidelines and that would impose them to all the power plants right and so people then in Peru or in Uzbekistan or um, Tanzania you know would have to receive these things that somebody in Washington wrote um, that might make no sense you know you know, apply to their context, but they would have to sign that they're following all these rules, um, you know, and send that back to Washington and then most likely still do whatever they need to do to operate. <laughs> um, and, and so um, Dennis Backey, the founder of AES, called that sort of an illusion of control, right? You know, he is sitting there and he has his head of risk of maintenance and, um, and audit and all of these, of these things, uh, compliance. Um, and all of them tell them tell him, yeah, yeah, things are under control. Everybody has signed all of these policies, and you know we have all these procedures that we're rolling out throughout the world. Um, but that's an illusion of control, right? Um, because you still don't know what people are doing out there in the field. And so um, Dennis Backey never had, you know, all of these head of things, right? So he was running this forty thousand organization with a tiny headquarters of of one hundred fifty people in in, in Washington. Um, but then. You know how is that not chaos? You know how do you you know keep things under control if you don't have you know all of these people 
you know, at the headquarters that just imposed control. Um, well, here's how AES did it. They had voluntary task forces for each of these topics, right? So you had a voluntary task force for um, audit, a voluntary task force for risk and for maintenance. And so people from these various plans, you know, all send, you know, a delegate, a representative to this voluntary task force. And then that task force would write the procedures um, that would apply to everyone. Now, of course, with everybody being present, they had to make much more clever procedures than somebody in Washington would make because it would be a procedure that had to work in Uzbekistan and had to work in Tanzania and in really cold places and in really warm places. And, um, so they would write much better procedures. And if needed, um, you know, people would audit one another, right? And of course, if I'm from the field, I know really well where to look uh, to see if you're doing a good job or not, right? Um, and and that's how it worked. Um, now, you know, there are some industries that are really heavily regulated, right? And you have a regulator who comes and says, you know, who is your head of risk, you know, and, and, and can he certify and sign, um, you know, off on all these policies and uh, and how do you do that if you're AES or a similar organization, right? And you have no head of risk. Well, one simple way to do that is to have, um, you know, if you have such a voluntary task force, um, is to every year choose one of these person randomly that gets promoted and goes and sees the regulator and signs off. Um, and, and that is a really powerful control mechanism, right? Now imagine, um, you know, soon we'll choose one of the people here at random, and it might be me. And if during that year, you know, we find out that you have been cheating, uh, doing really dangerous stuff, you know, I, I am in big trouble. So before somebody gets chosen at random, people really look around the circle, one another, and say, like, you know, can we, can we trust you? Um, and, and that, it turns out, is a really, really powerful mechanism, right? Because... Um, if the person up there in in Washington, you know, the head of something, forces me to sign something that makes no sense, I have no sense of loyalty to that person. If that person goes to jail, in some ways, I couldn't care less. But here, you know, we're a bunch of peers. You know, we we we're all in the trenches in this together. So there's a real sense here um, of reciprocity, of you know, wanting to make sure that I don't put you in danger, that you don't put me in danger. And I've since learned that uh, this process um, is widely used uh, in places where there is real danger. So, for instance, um, I've heard that in um, many armed forces around the world, when you do a major maintenance of an aircraft, right, like say an F-16 or something, um, the first flight that is taken after the major maintenance is taken by the pilot and one of the team team members of the maintenance team is chosen at random, right? And so before you choose at random, right, the pilot looks at everyone and said, like, <clears throat> is there anything I should know? Is there any doubts that you have before we chose somebody here at random? Um, I've heard that, um, that, that, um, uh, that NASA, the space agency, um, after the Challenger exploded, um, has done the same thing. So whenever they've sent... Um, uh, people up in space, they would invite 
their um, you know the spouse of the astronaut and their children if they had children into a room with all of the key people and then you know the family members would look at everybody and say is there something that I that we should know is there some doubts that you have please speak up now and they found that that is more powerful than any formal you know sign this thing kind of mechanism that you could have now I want to point out that in the example of AES and the maintenance of um, these aircrafts and the space shuttles um, it wasn't simply that old control mechanisms um, had been dismantled and that you would simply sort of trust people um, absolutely there is this layer of trust uh, but on top of that there's new mechanisms to ensure that things are under control that systems will self-correct if they're not right and so they haven't fallen for this mistakes that I see other organizations fall into where you simply dismantle the control structures and then sort of simply say hey well trust that everything works out and because if you do that in many cases things will work out but in some cases they won't and then the systems won't self-correct um, I just recently heard from an organization in China um, where they had sort of enthusiastically decided hey we'll get rid of the the time clocks where we'll measure you know how much time people spend in at work and uh, only for the founder one day to walk in a particular unit and to find that there's absolutely nobody <laughs> right and you know apparently everybody had taken the day off and made a long weekend or maybe some would come in later nobody quite knows um, and he was frustrated he felt like hmm, that means that apparently people can't be trusted and so he started questioning the whole thing and um, and in the end didn't question the whole thing he continues with self-management but then he reintroduced uh, some control mechanism you know some checks on you know how many hours people work and that just felt like a setback um, and my take on that is that he was absolutely right to trust people but the context wasn't right there weren't systems in place um, for people to feel the pressure of their actual deadlines and for a system to self-correct right um, and so uh, control isn't bad right that's really the message I want to take you home what is bad is these old mechanisms of control where you know people are trying to control other people through all sorts of ugly mechanisms um, what we want instead is the control to be baked into the system itself not people um, in a way where if something goes wrong if something isn't working the system will quickly detect it and will self-correct it just like I hope that if a virus comes into my body um, you know white blood cells will quickly detect it and will kick in and will do something um, and I will talk more about self-correcting system in two more videos and I really encourage you to watch them because I think this is such an important um, new understanding that we need for self-management to work. Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall, no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy and insights, and you get to choose what feels right to gift back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.